As I stand before you this morning, I am 37 years old. I have been married now just over 15 years. I have four children, one of whom will be in middle school this year. <sighs> and, and I'll be honest with you, the stage of life right now that I feel most prepared for is somewhere, I think, about high school. That's where I, I think if I were to go back right now, I'd really, really do well in that stage of life. I've learned a lot. I've been out of school now almost 20 years. I feel really prepared to turn back the clock about 20 years and try all that all over again. Because I'll be honest with you, I have no clue what I'm doing in my late 30s with four children, one of whom is a middle schooler. I have no idea. I'm not, I just don't feel completely prepared for where I am and what I've got before me. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but I would imagine that regardless of what stage of life you're in, whether it's late 30s, married with four children and a middle schooler, or you may be older or you may be younger, but as you stare down the road that is before you, I would venture to say that most of us feel just like I do. I don't know the first clue what I'm supposed to do in this new stage of life. You realize, of course, that, that they tell you to act your age, and you only have one year to figure out what that means, and then you turn another year older, and you have to start all over again. It's just completely unfair. Most of us in this room this morning don't know what to do about the struggles and the challenges that lie ahead of us in this new stage of life. We talk about the golden years when things will be so great, and guess what? Then your knees start to hurt real bad. And you don't walk up the stairs like you used to. Boy, sitting for a while hurts, and standing for a while hurts, and laying down for a while hurts, and everything hurts. And that's just the way it is. You know, and, and they tell you it's going to be so great once you get married and you have children. And those kids keep you up all night. And they're throwing up everywhere, and they're, they're doing, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, really nothing you can prepare for. Isn't that the truth? Each new stage of life presents something that we're, we're really not prepared for. And, and yet I, I, I notice in our lives that our search for what we need for each stage of life what it does for us is, is it creates this endless journey that we're constantly grasping at things. You ever known anybody like that? They're constantly trying to figure out and get more of what they think they might need for that particular stage or that particular area of life. And what we wind up with, honestly, in our search is a tremendous amount of emptiness and futility and loneliness. We just never seem to get what we think that we need for that next stage of life. And we live each year a little emptier. Nobody knows. We live each day a little more lonely and a little more lost, and nobody knows. And I wonder this morning, what would it be like for you and I to feel prepared for whatever lies ahead? For us to feel as if I truly do have all that I need. What a settling feeling that would be. I would guess that most of us in this room have never truly experienced that. Not because you're a heathen, not because you don't love the Lord, but because we have not understood really what it means and how we can receive all that we need. What if there's a way to have all you need for anything and everything that you go through in life? I believe there is. It's not a secret formula. Uh, it, it's no 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's simply built on a relationship with the Lord that we'll see this morning in Psalm chapter 23. So turn with me there if you would. This psalm is going to show us all that we need and how to receive it. Over the next four weeks, we'll focus on this 
really famous passage of Scripture. Some of you have heard it preached before. Some of you have memorized it. Some of you know it backward and forward. For some, this will be the first time that you've ever really heard it or maybe ever heard it taught or fully understood what God wanted to say through David the king when he wrote this psalm. This is not a psalm that's just for funerals. Because in fact, David was not preaching a funeral when he wrote this psalm. It's perfect for funerals, obviously, because in those times we need to know that that we can walk through the darkest valley because the Lord is with us. We need to know that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever if we believe in Him. But it's not just for funerals, even though I use it at each graveside, graveside service. David was, we believe at least, under the threat of attack from his son Absalom when he wrote this. His kingdom is threatened, and he may be falling apart completely from the outside in, and yet from the inside out, what we see is an extreme confidence in the Lord. A lot of what David wrote were complaints. God, why is this happening? God, why don't you crush my enemies? God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on inside of me or outside. Uh, Lord, I need your help. This is not one of those psalms. This is simply a psalm of confidence in the Lord. I want to read all the way through it, and then we'll focus this morning just on uh, the, the first verse of Psalm chapter 23. We'll see, uh, we'll see this, and then next week we'll look at verses 2 and 3, then verses 4 and 5, and then verse 6. So here's, here's the psalm in its entirety, of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. If you've got your little handout for the sermon this morning, you may be somebody who likes to follow along and and fill in the blanks and all of that, and give yourself points for guessing correctly. This morning, what I've listed on there, and and a little family competition you could have, by the way, with extended family, whoever can guess the most gets lunch today, paid for. How about that? So so good luck. Mark, you're covering everybody, and you're okay. All right, we're good. All right. Verse 1, I've listed on your your little handout. I want you to look at that even if you don't fill in the blanks. But look at that because here's verse 1 in several different translations which will lead us to the main idea that's in a box there in the center of the page. In the Holman, what we just read, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I lack. In the New International Version, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. New American Standard, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the message, and, and this actually... This, this little translation, the first part anyway, really does capture what the original Hebrew, these are the only words. It's God, my shepherd. That's what it really says. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. And then the New Living Translation, which is where I got the title of this particular sermon series, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. I, I love to see it in different translations. And I know for some, maybe using the message or a New Living Translation, it's a little bit too much of a paraphrase for you. Or, or maybe New American Standard is too formal. But when you see it in those different translations, it really begins to come alive. And the idea here, if you look in the very center of that page, is simply this, that the Lord is in charge of my life, so I have all that I need. That's what David is saying. When he talks about his shepherd... 
That that terminology for us doesn't mean anything. I don't believe anybody in here has any sheep that you're shepherding on a regular basis and you're operating like like an ancient Near Eastern shepherd. I doubt that's your your way of life these days. You may tend to animals and so on, but this this shepherding idea and metaphor is kind of tough for us. But David is basically saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He's in charge of my life. And as a result, I have all that I need. I, I would challenge you to do two things throughout this sermon series. One is to memorize Psalm 23. Six verses, you can do that. You can memorize every lyric to every country song that comes on the radio. You can memorize Psalm chapter 23, all right? I promise you, you can do it. It just takes you, you know, put it to, you know, some kind of country tune. Maybe you'll figure it out. But I want you to, I want you to memorize Psalm 23. And I also, each week, I'm just going to give you one main idea. And I'll try to make this as consistent as I possibly can so you'll know where it is and you can memorize. Because it's, this psalm is a declaration, not only about the Lord, but it's a declaration to yourself. The Lord is in charge of my life. I have all that I need. This week, you're going to face things that are going to challenge your thinking in this area. Because you're going to experience something in this particular stage of life that you weren't ready for, or in your job, or in your home, or wherever. And I just want you to come back to this refrain, the Lord is in charge of my life, so I have all that I need. All that I need for what? All that I need for everything. No matter what I face, no matter what it is, David's going to talk about some of, some of the things, and he'll put it in terms of him being a sheep, being led to pasture. But you know what he's talking about? He's not even saying physical things that he needs. He's talking about what his soul really needs. We know how to take care of our bodies. But we're lost when it comes to take care, taking care of our souls. We have no resources within us to do that. God has to do that for us, and that's where we'll focus. We're going we're gonna to see this truth. The Lord is in charge of my life, so I have all I need. We'll see this clearly as we dissect verse 1. I'll just warn you, we'll get to the fill in the blanks in just a minute. We've got some ground to cover before we get there. So don't stare at your paper the whole time. You ready? Look at verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. I want to break this down, and maybe maybe you'd like to draw some, some lines there, and you can connect some of this stuff. I want to look at first the Lord, and then my shepherd, and then there is nothing I lack. So we're going to look at what all of that means, piece it all together, and then get two things that we receive from this, and then go back and forth between those two. The first thing he says is the Lord. He's talking about who his shepherd is. Who is this person he is talking about? The Lord. He uses the formal name that God gave to Moses, Yahweh, I am. When he talks about the Lord, you see it there in all caps. When you see that in the Old Testament or New Testament, that's the formal name Yahweh. We put it as Lord, but it's Yahweh. It's Jehovah, the name of God that he gave to his people. That means I am. He is the giver of existence. This is who David is talking about. That's who my shepherd is. The one who causes to exist whatever exists, that's the one I'm talking about. When God gave his name, he says, I am who I am. What a great answer. What's your name? I just am. I love that part. I don't understand it completely. I don't understand all that God was trying to tell us right there. But he just said, look, I'm the one you can't even name. I'm the one you can't even explain. I'm the one who gave existence to everything that exists. That's who I am. David says, that's who I'm talking about. We see him in the Old Testament being Yahweh, Jehovah, this strong one, the most high, the all-powerful God, the one who provides, the healer, our companion, the one, the Bible says, who sees me. He is the unchangeable, inexplicable, unnameable one. His name was so holy 
that in ancient Israel, many people wouldn't even pronounce it. They wouldn't even say it. It was so holy. They didn't want to mess up even saying the name of God. Isn't that interesting? David refers to this one. This God, Almighty God, Creator, Sustainer of everything, that's who he's talking about. And for him, this Creator, Sustainer, King, Judge, Deliverer, Almighty God, Creator of everything that exists, that's who David Shepherd will be. He will have no substitute but the Lord himself. The truth is, in many of our lives, the reason we're not prepared for whatever lies ahead is we have substituted something or someone else for the only rightful shepherd and king in our lives. We've done it. You've done it, I've done it. You're probably doing it right now. You've probably done it all week long. Isn't that true? That's what we do. We lull ourselves to sleep thinking that someone else or something else is a better shepherd, a better leader, a better king, a better guide than the almighty God who created everything that we see. I don't say that to put guilt on you. I say it because it's true. We're human. That's what we do. We are going to make an idol and a God out of something or someone. There is only one, God says in Exodus chapter 20, that deserves to be in that place, and that is God himself, and yet we substitute so often. David says, I'll have none of it. I don't want to make no substitute. I'm not settling for anybody or anything as my leader, as my shepherd, as my king, but God himself. And maybe the declaration you need to make this morning is to say, you know what? I have made a God, I have made a shepherd, I have followed, I have listened to voices that I should have never listened to. This world has led me, and today, the Lord, Yahweh, the guy that I can't even explain, that God who is beyond explanation, He will be my king. He will be my shepherd. David says, I'm not selling the Lord. This is who he is. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's the role that this almighty God plays in my life. He is my shepherd. Now, David, if you know his story a little bit, this is King David, who previously was shepherd boy David. We see his story in the Old Testament, and we recognize that David used to be a keeper of sheep. When he was the youngest of all of his brothers, he was the keeper of the sheep. He was the guy who said, Dave, go out there in the field and you take care of those sheep and we'll do the important work, the busy work. We'll do the stuff that matters. David got to know what the life of a shepherd was like. So it's not surprising that he uses this terminology. He understands the role of the shepherd. And now, which I, I love this, now even though he is the king of all Israel, he still takes his place as a sheep. You realize that it doesn't matter who you are and what role you play and how much money you have and how successful you are and how many letters are behind your name and how many degrees hang on your wall, that you still must take your place as a sheep under the shepherd. And I don't know what prevents us from doing that. Maybe if we were all to tell our stories, you say, you know, it's this or it's that. But David said, I'm the king of all Israel. I am the one who rules it all. And guess what? The Lord is my shepherd. He's my king. This sovereign ruler of the universe, David says, has taken up the menial task, the lowly task of shepherding me. <laughs> I don't know if you find that amazing or not, but let that sink in for a second. That the God of all creation loves you and loves me enough to individually shepherd each one of us, to individually care for and provide for and to lead and to guide each one of us. I don't know if anybody cares for you in your life 
or if you feel loved by anybody at all, but hear this from King David, the Lord is my shepherd. The king of all the universe has taken up residence as my shepherd. Does that diminish him in any way? No, it magnifies him in every way because he's willing to do that. So this is his relationship, David says, to God. It is sheep to shepherd. The idea here of shepherding, when I looked this up and began to find the definitions for for how old school shepherds worked, here's what it means. It means to guard, to care for. It means to rule or to pasture a flock. In fact, it was used, many ancient Near Eastern kings in that area were called shepherds of their people. They were the kings, the rulers, the ones who were over them. And so this is not an unfamiliar kind of phrase to call the king of the universe a shepherd because local kings were often called shepherds. The eastern shepherd during this time, what he would do is to lead and to provide and to protect. He would know each sheep by its name. And he would value each of them more than his own life. It's a great metaphor. There's incredible truth packed into this. And in fact, I'll be honest with you, each Sunday, there's a lot that I leave on the cutting floor, if you will. Because if not, we'd be here for three or four hours. Or at least I would be here for three or four hours. <laughs> Everybody else I get him, would, would somehow slip out to go to the bathroom and grab a drink and never come back. You know that? But there's so much packed into it. I want you to know this. If you want to understand more about the relationship that you're to have with God, then study the relationship between sheep and the ancient shepherds. I really mean that. We'll get into more of that as we go through this particular series. David says, the Lord, I'm settling for no one else. He is my shepherd. He's the one who's in charge. And he says, as a result, there is nothing I lack. The result of having the Lord in charge of my life is that I have all that I need. Now, this is another declaration. Not only is he saying the Lord is my shepherd, but he's declaring to himself as well. As a result of that, David, don't forget that I have all that I need. There's nothing I lack. We often forget this, or maybe we don't believe it, which is why we're on this quest, every one of us, to fill ourselves up. I see it all the time. I see it with young people. I see it with older people. I see it with people my age. We're all on this quest to get what we think we need because we always feel as if we don't have it. David says, I'm just going to remind myself, the Lord is my shepherd, and as a result, there's nothing I lack. He uses that word lack there. It means to to have a decrease, or to be in need, or to be in poverty, or to be devoid of something, to be without, to cut short, to be empty, to have a deficiency. He says, when God is my shepherd, that's not my life. I am devoid of nothing. I am deficient in no area of life. I lack nothing. The Lord has not cut me short anywhere. I lack nothing that is necessary and good for me. David says his needs are met. And he'll go on, as we'll see in coming weeks, to describe them not in terms of physical needs, but as I said earlier, in terms of what his soul really needs. Because let's peel it back. We can talk about how well we, we could use a little more money. Boy, I could really use a new vehicle. Man, we'd love to have a new house. I wish we had something different to eat. Whatever it may be, all the physical needs. And at the end of filling all those physical needs, if, you, if your soul is never touched, you'll still be just as empty as you are now. 
You can have more stuff. You can have more money. You can have a better car. You can live in a better house. All that stuff. You can get every promotion. You could rise to be the king of the land. But if your soul is never addressed, you'll be as empty as you were before you started the night quest. You don't have to take it from me. That's throughout Scripture. It's pretty clear. But only God as your shepherd can provide you with what you truly, truly need. And I hope this morning that somebody who's on that quest, somebody who's empty this morning, somebody who says, I've tried it all, will simply yield to God and humble yourself and say, God, I've tried it, I've done it, all of it that I've gone through, nothing has worked to fill my soul, and I'm at the end of my rope, and Lord, I turn to you. You be my shepherd. I'm settling for no one else, and I don't want my physical needs. I want what my soul needs. The Lord is not holding out on you in any way. When you know Him as sheep to shepherd, you will find that He freely gives you what you need for your soul. When the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. All that I need for what again? For everything. Now, two things that we gain from this particular relationship. Get ready, because we're going to fill in the blanks. (laughs) Sharpen your pencil. Click your pen. Get your smartphone out ready to take some notes. Because you're not texting, you're taking notes. We know that. Two things that we gain from this. You'll see that one is is right above that box, the other is below. You're going to get them both at the same time. It's kind of tough. You ready? Confidence and responsibility. There they are. What we gain from this is confidence. One of the things we desperately need in life is to be confident, not just in and of ourselves that I can do this, but confident that somebody is in control. Somebody's got this. That's what we see when God is our shepherd. We can have confidence that he's in charge of my life. And when we look at the role of shepherd and our response and our responsibility to him as sheep, we'll see what our responsibility plays out to be. So what I'd like to do, just just as we go back and forth quickly, you'll see there to the right of confidence, there are four little blanks. And to the right of responsibility, there there are four blanks as well. We're going to alternate between those because one will lead to the other. When we look at the confidence we have in God because he does this, we'll see our responsibility to submit in a certain way. So I want to unpack briefly what David is talking about here with the Lord is my shepherd. So I have confidence in him because of his role as shepherd. And here's my responsibility as a result. And I hope maybe this will give some teeth to what we're talking about. Maybe something that you specifically can do today and this week. When you look at what's wrapped up into the role of shepherd, and I've mentioned some of this already, one of the things that that we gain confidence in God as our shepherd, we gain confidence because, first of all, He rules. Talked about the fact that ancient Near Eastern kings were often called shepherds. This king would would, would, would rule the land, and God is the same way. He is in charge. He rules as king. We have confidence in that. Do you understand that the king we serve is not a tyrant? He is a loving shepherd. Is he powerful? Absolutely. All powerful. Is he in charge of it all? Absolutely. Everything. But is he good? Yes. Does he love us? Yes. When he rules, this is not something we need to be afraid of. As believers in Jesus, we have no fear of God's rule. We welcome it. We have confidence that God is in charge, that he has this thing together. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he rules. 
And not only does he rule, but he has he's spoken to us, and so we get his list of, of what he expects from us. We get his expectations, and we also, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get the opportunity and the empowerment to meet those expectations through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he rules, we have some responsibility, and we have the responsibility to submit to his authority. He rules, so therefore I submit to his authority. Now, I want to put this little caveat in because some of us will say, oh yeah, all right. God's in charge. I'll, uh, I'll get on board with what God's doing. If, or if only, or as long as. Isn't that the way we operate with God sometimes? Lord, if you'll do this, and I promise, I'll never ask you for another thing in my life. You ever prayed that prayer? Like yesterday? And the day before? You know, I mean. He rules, so we, we submit to his authority. How? With no strings attached. I was able to talk with somebody recently, and I just said, look, I, th- I think what, what needs to happen in your life is that you need to submit to the direction and to the power and to the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit with no strings attached. Because that's all you've been doing. Submit to His authority with no strings. Authority in what? In every area of life. I don't care what it is. For your late 30s. For your marriage, for your four children, one of whom is a middle schooler. Submit to God's authority in that. For your job, for your school, for how you will live your life, how you will approach things, the way that you will act and the the way you will carry yourself. I will submit to God's authority. Jesus told us it looks like this in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. He says self-denial. First and foremost, to submit to God's authority means I am no longer in charge. I give it up. And then I take up my cross. I'm going to be willing to sacrifice. I'm going to identify with the death of Jesus. And I no longer live, Paul says, but Christ now lives in me. And then follow him. I'm committed. Wherever he leads, as the song says, I'll go. He rules, so I submit to his authority. This morning, maybe that's your step. Lord, I have been bullheaded. I have been strong-willed. I have been unwilling in my life to submit my life to you. And this morning, I'm under conviction, and I'm going to do it. This morning, Lord, I submit my life to your authority. No strings attached. I deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross, and I'll follow you. Secondly, as our shepherd, he, he guides. He's our leader. We, we see this in Psalm 23. What he leads me beside quiet water. He's going to guide me to where I need to go. And so as a result of that, I submit to his direction. You know, it's one thing to submit to God's authority and say, all right, God, yeah, you're going to be in charge of my life. It's another thing when you begin to get the nuts and bolts of that, and he begins to guide you down a particular path, and you look on either side of the ravine, as we'll see in verse 4, and all you see is a dark valley, and you say, Lord... You sure about this? It's pretty dark. All I see is death. Lord, I don't don't see any way through this. I don't see any way out of this. When God guides you, it's great to follow Him and submit to His direction And so long as everything's going well for you. So long as you keep making more money and your job keeps going well and all of those things are fine. But you let Him guide you through a dark valley. It takes a relationship to a whole different level. 
I mean, you truly understand what it's like to have a true good shepherd when God guides you through the darkest valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm in the darkest valley, what, I fear no evil, I fear no danger. Why? For you are with me. I submit to your direction, Lord, no matter what that means. Proverbs chapter 3, verses, verses 5 and 6 tell us that that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and what? Lean not on our own understanding of things and the way we should go, but in all our ways, in every path that we take, acknowledge Him, listen to Him, follow His direction, and He will make our paths straight. <clears throat> Didn't say He will make every path a joyous, wonderful, oh my goodness, life could not get any better path but it'll be straight through the valley of the shadow of death. Straight through it. The right path you should be on. Maybe this morning for you, you say, well, you know, that authority of God thing, I'm good with that. But man, this is where I struggle. Because God has led me in some places, God has directed me to some things that honestly have fallen apart and I'm struggling to trust Him for the next step. I don't want to listen to God's Word anymore because the last time I did, it blew up in my face. Submit to His direction because He guides as your shepherd. We have confidence also because He protects. He's the defender of the sheep. David would know this very, very well. Because when he was a shepherd, he told the story later to King Saul. He says, King, way back when, when I was a shepherd, you know what? There came a lion. There came a bear trying to attack my sheep. And I didn't have a gun to fire up in the air to scare it off. We hadn't invented guns yet. You know what I did instead? I ran the thing down and tackled it and nearly ripped its head off. David was pretty cool. Some of you manly men, try that. Go with your tough mutter race. You know, go, go down in your man cave and grab you a bear and rip its head off. That's, that's what David did. He was incredible. But you know what he's demonstrating? That the shepherd will do anything he has to to protect the sheep. He'll, he'll put his own life on the line. There was no guarantee when David went after the lion, when David went after the bear, that he was going to rip its head off. In fact, studies will tell you that it's usually the opposite. Statistics show that that's not always the best idea. But David said, you know what? I'm going to be a shepherd who protects the sheep, willing to lay down my life, if need be, for the benefit of the sheep. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. This isn't a moral lesson. This isn't go and be better lesson. This is submit, submit to the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ himself. This is just a preview, Psalm 23 is, of what Jesus would do and be for us. The good shepherd. We learn later he's the great shepherd. And in Hebrews, he's, he's the chief shepherd, the only one. He protects us from sin. How? By laying down his life and taking the punishment. Let me tell you this. Somebody's going to pay for your sin. Somebody's going to pay. It's going to cost somebody's life. You can either pin that on yourself if you'd like and ignore and deny that Jesus is the only way for forgiveness and you will die for your sin. Or you can say, Jesus already paid for it. I'm placing my faith in Him. 
I'm giving my life to him. I'm surrendering to him. I'm placing myself under his protection. And that's who will pay for my sin. He's already done it. Our shepherd protects. And so as a result, we submit to his no. We submit to his no. When he says no, guess what? All right. I'm good with that. Why? Because we know that he's going to protect us. Proverbs is full. The book of Proverbs full of this. Scripture is, is chock full of, of how when we obey the Lord, we may not see the danger that we were leading ourselves into. And he says, no, 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 stop, stop. Don't do that. What we look at, oh, it's just a list of rules. You're just not letting me be myself. I have no self-expression. I'm just going to do whatever comes naturally to me. That's the world we live in. You realize that's why the world hates God? It's because God says no. The world has been blinded to the fact that God says no because He wants to protect us. Because He loves us. Because He cares for us. Because He knows that on our own we will destroy ourselves. He knows that in the presence of the shepherd we are safe. That when we obey Him, when we obey Him through the godly authorities that are in our lives, and young people, listen to me. If you still live under the authority of your parents right now, if you're living in that home and you still are under their authority, then you have the responsibility to your shepherd, not your parents, but ultimately to your shepherd, God himself, to submit to that authority, to listen to that no, and view it as God's direction and God's blessing in your life. I know that you don't like me saying that. Well, I tell you, you, you just, you, man, you're setting me up. My parents are going to tell me that at lunch. Did you hear what the preacher said? <laughs> you weren't even listening, were you? He said it. I, we got it on recording. Austin, we're recording, aren't we? Yes, we got it on recording. And parents, you're going to play that little clip over and over and over again. Let me tell you this, young people. I don't know how your parents are going to handle that particular statement. But there is something powerful that comes as you yield your life to God and submit to the authorities in your life. You begin to know God better. Your parents are not perfect. They're going to try to be. And let's hope that they're walking with God. They're not perfect, though. View your role as submitting not to them, but to the Lord himself. And say, God, I don't understand it all. I don't like it all. But I tell you what, Lord, I know you're good. I know you've placed these people in my life. And so, Lord, I'm going to practice submitting to authority so that I can live under your protection. Try it. Try it for a week and come and talk to me. We'll work through it. We'll have a little counseling session. Parents, let me tell you this. If you're going to say no, if you're going to put those rules in place, then you as well need to be submitting to your shepherd to make sure that you're following him and not just whatever makes you a little happier. That's tough, isn't it? I told you I'm the parent of a middle school kid now. I'm feeling like I'm going to submit to my ultimate shepherd more than ever before. No idea what I'm doing. She'll be a teenager in two years. Submit to your authority. We submit to God's direction. We submit to his no, and he also, we have confidence because he provides. He's a caretaker. The shepherd, out of his great love, takes care of the sheep and gives them what they need. And so as a result, I submit to his care. Now, we say, you know, let me, let me pause here for just a second. That's the last fill in the blank, and you're ready to close your Bible and all that stuff, but listen for just a second. This is harder than it sounds. Submitting even to the Lord's care in our life is harder than it sounds. Why? Because He might not give us what we want. 
You been there? Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide for me. And we keep checking the mail. How are you providing? We keep looking for something else. We keep waiting for somebody to pull in. I've seen it in movies. Somebody just randomly gave somebody a car. I wonder when mine's going to pull up in a driveway. It's hard to submit to God's care because He might not give us what we want and we're not contented if He doesn't. When you submit to His care, you've got to trust that He knows what He's doing and He can provide for you. And if He doesn't give you what you want, you still will have what you need. Psalm 46 tells us that when you have that kind of relationship with the Lord, you can stop trying so ridiculously hard. Cease striving. Be still. And just know that He is God. David here is saying, He he loves me. (laughs) My shepherd loves me, so I trust Him. That's the foundation of His relationship with the Lord. I wonder if that's the same foundation for you. Are you prepared for what lies ahead? Whatever's coming. That next stage of life, this stage of life that you've just entered, do you have all that you need? Are you confident for this life and for the next? Can you say that the Lord Jesus is in charge of my life so that I have all that I need? There's a book called Scouting the Divine by a Christian author named Margaret Feinberg. And in that, she researched about sheep and shepherds. And I'll share some more of what she found in the coming weeks, but there was one particular quote that I thought was good for today. She asked the question of a shepherd, what would happen if the shepherd just left the sheep, even for just a week or two or three, what would happen to the sheep? And the answer was, they'll die. And she said, no, no, really, you know, quit quit exaggerating, what will happen? There's got to be some chance they'll survive. And the shepherd said, no, they will die. Without the shepherd, the sheep cannot survive on their own. They can't get themselves what they need. And we are no different. We are compared to sheep who are in need of a shepherd who was our Savior, Jesus Christ. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. On our own, we are not prepared for this life. And on our own, we are not prepared for the life ahead. Because one day all of us will stare death in the face. You may see it coming, you may not. But you'll stare it in the face. And the only way you can be prepared to walk through that door is to know the Good Shepherd. To give yourself to the one who laid down his life for your sin, Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, this is a message of salvation. Ultimately, this is a call to repentance and submission to our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He loves you. Do you trust him? Have you placed your faith in him? Who is your shepherd? Let's pray again. Lord might have put something on your heart this morning as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed that you say and God is all over me right now maybe you're a person who has never submitted your life to your good shepherd the savior Jesus Christ and this morning that's what you need to do Lord Jesus I believe in you forgive me my sin save me 
from the wrath of God against my sin. Take it, Lord, and give me eternal life. For others, you need to make one of those submissions that you've listed there on your sheet. I don't know what it may be for you. I'll be here for you for prayer, to talk with you. We'll have others who will gather down here and be willing to pray for you. You may just need to do business on your own there in your pew. Whatever it is, don't leave today without being confident and saying, the Lord is in charge of my life, so I have all that I need. Make that declaration. Lord, we thank you that you are our good shepherd and that we lack nothing. Help us, Lord, to apply what we've learned. We pray in Jesus' name.